Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Uh, It's a difficult message to uh, comprehend and perhaps even step into, but it is uh, a powerful message. Uh, And regardless of your story, because we all carry a story, uh, as Jared said earlier, if you're here as someone of faith, if you're here because this is what you usually do on Sunday, we do want to welcome you and we pray that you're encouraged uh, and anticipating God to shift us and move us um, and do something powerfully. If you're new or you're not sure what this is all about, Um, then uh, we really want to welcome you and trust that you uh, become awakened to the promises and the meaning of God and the relationship that God wants for you. Um, So we just uh, trust in what God has in store for us today. We start a new series today called The Wildlife. Uh, when you see these images, a special thanks to uh, uh, Tim McDonald, who sits down here in the front corner. But uh, yeah, give him a round of applause because uh, Tim plugs away and he kind of makes something out of my bizarre descriptions that I like an image for and uh, refines them and works on them. So uh, I try and create, we try and create uh, a banner or an image that will help people remember the theme and take it with us wherever we go, so uh, he does a great job. And, uh, but, so over the next few weeks, we're going to explore what the wildlife looks like, and all of us would have different expressions of a wildlife. All of us would have different ideas or ways in which we might have lived a wildlife. Uh, some of you have probably got these stories of having a wildlife. You know, you've lived on the, on the wild side. You've been a bit daring. You've been a bit out there. Um, the most extreme stories of the wildlife might be stories of uh, uh, alcohol binges or drug addictions or multiple sexual partners or pornography. Um, I don't know, making loads and loads of money. I don't know what the most extreme expression of the wildlife might be because I'm pretty boring. Um, <clears throat> But generally, wild uh, stories like that are, are brag stories that indicate how interesting we are. It might mean that living on the wild side meant that we went on a roller coaster once, um, and only once. Um, although we have photo evidence of my wife being on a roller coaster, um, it's a priceless expression. It's <laughs> Maybe we did something that we wouldn't normally do. And when we did that, people looked at us and said, this isn't like you. What, what convinced you that that would be a good idea? Why did you feel it important to do that? Perhaps the wildlife for you is that you stayed up really late and you didn't put on your pyjamas until 9.30. <laughs> um, and you're laughing because for some of you, that's true. That's the full extent of your wildlife, isn't it? Um, we might consider wild children as those who lack discipline. You know those kids, don't you? <laughs> At least those children who don't behave in the way that we think they should, when we think they should. 
No, teenagers don't want to be left out. Hormones and puberty are awkward enough without feeling isolated, and so there's a sense of a wild edge around our teenagers. There's tension between what we know we're meant to do and the idea that, well, I'm becoming a grown-up now and I want to be independent of what I know I'm meant to do. And so we live on this wild edge a little bit. We don't want to feel isolated, so instead we work to be part of the crowd. We want to... um, we want to be noticed a little bit. I think that's actually true for adults as well. We actually work really hard to be noticed or we want to be not left out in some ways, although we might express it differently. For some of us, the, mi- the wildlife might be that we buy that car or we get that motorbike or we buy- have that dream holiday that we've always wanted and never been able to and you know, hang everything else that we're meant to be doing. Um, maybe the wildlife is buying the house that we always wanted, knowing very well that we can't really afford it. But I want to suggest to you over these next few weeks, and the team that's going to teach over the next few weeks is suggesting that the wildlife is discovering what it is to walk in step with Jesus. What does it actually look like to hold this cross, knowing that it's foolishness to the world and yet power and salvation to those who surrender to it? What does the wildlife genuinely look like? Because I want to suggest to you that the wildlife, um, the ways of following Jesus, to walk in step with Jesus, actually needs to turn the world upside down and is a call to turn the world upside down. It subverts, if you like, shifts how we respond to situations or experiences uh, or even how other people think we should respond because we walk in step with Jesus. The wildlife is an expression, an outworking, a fruit of something that has been planted within us in relationship with Jesus. See, it's not enough to simply say, I go to church or I believe in God. There has to be something that is an outworking an outward expression of that kind of statement. There's plenty of people that we know or have been around that say, sure, I believe in God, or sure, I believe in Jesus, or sure, I go to church, but we barely subvert the community, we barely subvert the idea of kingdom authority or life upside down and offer another alternative. You know, Saul had this idea of uh, this, he didn't like this wild group of people as they were known. They were known as people of the way when Jesus first went back to heaven to be with his father. This group of people known as the people of the way were causing huge upheaval across the Roman Empire. And Saul didn't like it as someone who'd grown up as a Pharisee, who's someone who'd grown up understanding the law, understanding how things were meant to be. The structure, the order, the place of things what it looked like to live according to the ways of God. Saul understood this. And then there was this group, small as they were initially, that suddenly started to grow and move and change and influence the social structures, the religious structures, the society understanding of community and caring for one another. He, in his mind, and in the mind of the religious leaders of the time, this people of the way were ignoring the social status and the religious rules of the time. They were undermining the worldly and the religious structures and they were causing a stir in the process. As Saul, his task was to go and find and arrest these Christians, these people of the way, imprisoning them, 
breathing out, we're told in scriptures, murderous threats against them. He was a guy who would actually torture people for the fun of it because of what they believed and not just because of what they believed but because of the way that they were living that out. See, when, the, when Jesus was around and when Jesus was, uh, had left and sent his people on to go out into all the world, it was making a dramatic difference in the society that we're a part of. And then Saul had a personal encounter with Jesus and he becomes Paul. See, something else was planted within him. Something of the personal encounter, personal relationship with Jesus was planted within this man that dramatically shifted his worldview, turned it upside down, pulled it inside out, and he became a man who revolutionised what the church looked like. He planted new churches all over the countryside. He was writing letters left, right and centre, even when he was in prison being tortured himself. He was still a man encouraging the local church and proclaiming the foolishness of the cross. That's a wild life. He was encouraging new believers in their faith. To one of those early churches that he planted, uh, a church in Galatia, uh, he wrote a letter um, to the Galatians. We have it. Uh, one of few letters to the early churches. You can look it up on version Bible.com if you haven't downloaded that app. And you can find Horsham Church of Christ under the More tab uh, in the events. And then you can follow along the readings that we generally have for the week. Or you can write them down. I encourage you to write them down. Go and read them for yourself during the week. But he wrote this letter. And towards the end of this letter to the Galatians, uh, Paul says this. Um, now, let me go back a step. In every one of these letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Paul starts by saying who we are because of what Christ has done. Paul starts by reminding the church of who Jesus is and how far Jesus went and what that means for us. And then the second half of the letter, he generally addresses something specific to that local church, encouraging them in what that looks like and how that gets lived out. So he writes these words in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, that is, the nature that doesn't reflect the heart of God. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Paul's not a man who holds back. Um, if you keep behaving in the way that you are, look out. You're in a whole lot of trouble. So I say, writes Paul, walk by the Spirit, and you will not only gratify the des- and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you are, what, what you want. Hang on, hang on a minute. Didn't Paul just say you are free? Yes. In Christ, you are free. But it's not a freedom when we just go out and have the luxury to do whatever we want, regardless of the consequences. Paul says freedom in Christ actually turns our thinking upside down. But if you are led by the Spirit, he says, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
Debauchery, that's just a word that says you're so drunk you don't know what you're doing. Uh, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit, the outworking, the expression of the Spirit, that is what has been planted within you because of the freedom in Christ, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And over the next few weeks, we want to unpack this wild life that is wrapped up in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And we hope that as we come to terms and understand and explore what these ideas, these concepts, these fruits look like, we would understand how truly wild they are in a society so desperately in need of a saviour. So we're starting this series exploring the fruit, the expression or outworking of love. What does a relationship with Jesus look like? What impact does this relationship have in my attitude, in my mind, the way that I think, in my heart, in what I feed it, in what I uh, discern or what I express? What, what relationship, what does this relationship look like in my spirit and how does this overflow to the way that I live my life? There are many ideas of love and we've all heard plenty of stories of love and plenty of expressions of love but a few months ago I had someone come to me and share part of their story. It's a story that is still unfolding but it's a story I believe will encourage many here today. It is a story of a seed that was planted long ago but it's not until more recently was beginning to experience the fullness of life. It is a story of invitation and it is a story where we're invited to consider the fruit of the seed that might have been planted in my life, in our lives. So I wonder if you would welcome uh, Donna McDonald as she comes and stares, shares part of her story with us, please. Thanks, Simon. I'll start with Joshua 1.9. Be strong and be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Hi, I'm Donna. I'm married to a wonderful husband called Paul. We have two fantastic boys, Nathan and Tim. Two beautiful daughter-in-laws, Courtney and Linda. And I have two most gorgeous grandchildren, Ajira and Mason. I can say that because I'm the grandma. I had the most loving parents who always wanted the best for myself and for my three sisters. I was brought up in this church and I was baptised on the 2nd of November 1980. We were a close family and brought up in a Christian home. I went to girls club, Sunday school and played tennis with the local church team. But in all of this, I had a dark secret, something that I kept to myself for a long, long time. We had a great youth group where we spent a lot of time all together, 
at Sunday night church, we'd fill the first, first couple of rows right up front of the church and afterwards we'd grab a seat in a car and go somewhere for a coffee and a chat. We had so much fun. I left, I left school at 15 and I started working at a shop, at, as a shop assistant. Paul and I grew up together and we started dating at 16 and we got married at the age of 18 and 19. People thought we were too young and we were, but the love that we had for each other was amazing and most of all, we had God on our side. This secret was always with me and as I got older, the harder it was to cope with. I can't remember, but sometime later in our married life, I did tell Paul briefly, but this secret was just too hard. It hurt too much. I couldn't tell, talk about it. I couldn't tell, I, I would tell Paul that I was coping okay, and with that was as far as it went. My dad died suddenly at, at 68, and I was 28. He died suddenly out on the farm with a massive heart attack. I really struggled losing my dad. We were very close. He meant the world to me. The hardest thing was that I didn't get to tell him my secret because I didn't know how to. And I knew that I couldn't tell mum now. With dad gone, it wasn't fair on her. Life got busy and Paul and I stopped going to church on a regular basis. In 2013, I had a sporting accident. I tore the, my three hamstrings off and I was laid up for three months. And in that time, God was telling me I needed to get my church life back on track and we started coming back. In 2014, my mum at 88 fell one night at home and broke her hip and also suffered a couple of mini-strokes. We knew that Mum would never be able to come home, so we had to pack, and pack up and sell Mum's things. That was so hard to do. Us four sisters went to Mum's house to start sorting things out, and knowing that things were not good, really good, with Mum, it just got the better of me. I couldn't keep my secret to myself anymore. With tears rolling down my face, I told my sisters that I was sexually assaulted at the age of around 10. I told them who it was. They were horrified and so upset that I had carried this secret for a long time. They asked me why hadn't I told anybody. My answer to that was I was scared and things like this were not talked about. Would anyone had believed me? He was a friend of the family and a member of our church. Why would they believe a young little girl? My sisters wanted me to do something about it, but I couldn't put everybody through it. I said I'd be fine and I was thinking that now I had told them that I would be fine. Well, that's what I, th I was wanting to tell myself. Mum passed away that October. 
And the hardest thing was now knowing that mum and dad never knew what happened to their little girl. It made me very sad that I kept this secret from my parents. When bringing up our children, I really tried to protect them so much. I taught my boys that they could talk to us about anything and also that they felt uncomfortable with anything to get out and tell us straight away. I'm not saying that my mum and dad didn't do a good job. They did a great job. But back 40 plus years ago, things like this were not talked about. I knew that I did it all wrong. I should have told them. My Christian life was a roller coaster ride, but all the time I knew and I loved God. We started going back to church more regularly, joined a life group and really enjoyed it. But in doing this, I still wasn't coping with what had happened to me. But again, I still didn't talk about it. This year, in February, we met with our life group and started talking about what we wanted to study this year. I said that I found last study was hard and I didn't get much out of it. So, we asked, so they asked me what would I like to study. I said that I'd love to learn more about prayer. I hear so many people pray such beautiful prayers that I wish I was able to pray like them. So we decided to go back to the Bible and look back in the index and read those verses that talked about prayer. Well, whose idea was this? I was doing my study and here was the Bible telling me that we have to get ourselves right to be able to pray from the heart and to ask for forgiveness for our sins, also to forgive the ones that hurt you. Mark 11:25. and when you stand praying, if you are holding anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven will forgive you your sins. What? What did I just read? Forgive the one that has hurt me? This just went around and around in my head. Why should I have to do this? He hurt me. He should apologise to me and he should be asking for forgiveness, not me. We went back to our life group on the Wednesday night and we all enjoyed it. It was a real challenge. It was really very challenging. And out of the blue, I just let it out, telling my group what had happened to me and how this study was telling me I just couldn't forgive him. So we talked and prayed about it and we left that night knowing that God was really talking to me, but I really needed to get my head around it. Paul and I missed the next group as we were on holidays and all that time we were away, we kept com- it kept coming back in my mind and I was fighting it. I had a great support from our life group and prayer and text messages. Can I have water? Sorry, guys. (laughs) 
We went back to the life group the next few days, next few weeks. Our study was on forgiveness. Well, that hit hard, but still I struggled with it. The next two studies were communion and healing. It just seems easier not to talk about it. The following week, Shirley asked if I was okay to talk about my situation, and I said yes. So they asked me how was I going with it. Had I prayed the prayer of forgiveness? My answer was no. I was struggling with it. What if it doesn't change anything? You know I've been carrying this for a long time. How can it be different? The group talked with so much support and they said that it's like a sore on your arm. It'll start healing from the inside and it will heal layer after layer. Things were starting to make sense for what they were saying. We went on with the study and all the time I knew that God was talking to me. After the study, we had a prayer time. We gathered around and prayed for me. And that night, I prayed the prayer to forgive him for what he has done for me. I went home feeling some peace, but there was one more thing that I needed to do, and that was talk to Simon. I felt that I needed to do this. So fighting it for over a day, I sent a message to Simon and asked if he could meet me on Monday at 11.30. Monday came and I was feeling nervous. Paul came with me, and it, for this was a very big step. I went into his office. The time had come. I needed to tell him what had happened and to tell Simon who it was. This gave me a sense of release. We talked, prayed, and shed a few tears. A heavy load on my shoulders was lifted. A small amount of freedom came across me. I knew that 40 years of so much hurt was not going to be easy or let go, of, but it was a great start. We left Simon and I felt so happy. It was like I gave it all to him, poor Simon, and that I didn't have to have this all to myself anymore. That week I so needed to be asking God to help me to be strong that I knew Satan would attack me. He didn't want me to give my hurt up and to have God on my side. 28th of April. The weekend arrived on a Saturday morning. We did our devotions, which said, write down a specific moment when God delivered you or gave you a miracle in some way. Thank him and remind yourself that if God did it before, he can do it again. I thought about this, but nothing really stood out. It was a busy weekend. Paul was heading off to help Tim at that their place. I was staying home doing the housework and gardening, which I do love doing. It was 9am. I was in the ensuite grabbing towels to wash when I heard my mobile phone go off saying I had a message. Thinking that it wasn't, that it was just a message wanting me to buy something, I didn't rush to read it. I went back into the kitchen, grabbed the phone to look at the message, and there it was. A message from the person who hurt me, the man that had sexually assaulted me, sent me this message. Donna, this may come as a shock to you. I have wanted to do this for years, but have not had the guts to do so. 
Donna, I am so, so sorry for what I did to you many years ago and I apologise for my actions and pray that you will forgive me. I am so, so sorry. I called out to Paul, quick, come here, read this. I couldn't believe it. After 40 years, he sent me a message. I knew straight away that God had done this. He knew that all the hurt that I have carried all those years, that I needed release. I was a mess. I was dry reaching. I couldn't stop crying. The motions was just all over the place. Paul rang Simon and he came out. I showed him the text message. He read it and said that he had not made any contact with this person. But he said it was a pity that he didn't sign his name to it. And at that moment I felt, oh no, did he mean it? We talked and prayed and it was just so amazing to get this message. Simon left and not long after he left, and I mean not long, my phone went off. I looked at it. I couldn't believe my eyes. There was another message saying, Donna, I did not say who sent this message. I forgot. I hope you're not upset. I hope you're not upset, you. I apologise. God bless you all. And there was his name. God is so amazing. That little bit of doubt and bang, God replied. He knew what I needed. I shared this story with our life group the next morning before church. I was so excited to tell them what, had, what, it had, what God had done. I would just like to say that if you're not in a life group, please have a real good think about it, joining the things that you can get out of being with Christian friends is just amazing. There are things in life that you really need a Christian family around you for there is so much to learn about God and what he can do for you. And another thing that has helped me through all this is Vision Radio Station. When you can't be here at church learning from Simon and the ministry team, the Vision Vision is your next best thing. The testimonies, sermons and the songs are so uplifting. I really struggled about whether I should answer his message. But after five days, I tossed it around, prayed and knowing that I had forgiven him, it felt the right thing to do. So this is what I said. I don't like what you did to me and how it affected my whole life. You really hurt me. I have been de dealing with this issue for the last couple of weeks leading to your message. Thanks for your apology and by the grace of God, I forgive you, Donna. So why am I here today? Well, my devotion we read that Saturday it said to write down one specific moment or miracle that God delivered. Well, after all what that had happened, I sure did have something to write. I wrote it all down and it came to me that I needed to tell my story. I told Paul what I was feeling, 
But he looked at, but by the look on his face, I knew he didn't think it was a good idea. So praying to God, I asked him to tell me in some way if you really wanted me to do it. Then the next Saturday, the heading on our devotion was, share your story. Then the next Saturday, then the next Saturday, sorry, he looked at me and said, there is your answer, you need to tell your story. And the verse for that day was from Matthew 5, 18 to 19. When Jesus got back into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go too. But Jesus said, no, go home to your friends and tell them what wonderful things the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Reading our devotion on the bottom in bold and capital letters, it said... If you've become a part of a story of God, then, then you have a story to share. And the people around you, they are eager to hear and they are dying to hear it. Wow. So here I am today telling you my story. And if you're struggling to forgive, please pray and give it to God. Share with someone that you can trust. Read and listen to God's word, he is amazing. He can help you, release you from all the hurt you have. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you, give other, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I just want to say that forgiveness is one of the hardest things to do. I struggled with this for a long time. If there is someone that is struggling with forgiveness, please don't give up. You really need to try because the only one that it affects is you. The weight you carry is so damaging to your own life. If I hadn't opened up to our life group, I wouldn't be standing here today. My secret would still be wearing me down. This is my prayer. Lord, I do not deny the pain that I've experienced, but by your grace, I give you those painful wounds. No matter how deep they are, I realise that I'm powerless to fix the past or to change others. But I also understand that your love can heal me I give you my scars, O oh God, and I thank you for your peace and mercy and joy that will flourish within me in the absence of my bitterness. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to my story, and I thank God every day for what he has done for me. But I thought we were talking about love. Yep. And what you heard is the outworking, the expression of love that was planted a long time ago in the one called Jesus. Can only be done that way. Can only be expressed that way. We can only forgive because Christ first loved and forgave us. 
We can only forgive and love in as much as we actually receive and forgive and acknowledge that love and participate in that love that God has first expressed through Jesus. It's an incredible story in Luke chapter 7 of religious leaders gathering around and telling Jesus how impressive they are. And a woman walks into the meal uninvited. Everyone else knows who she is. Everyone else knows where she's been, what she's done. She starts weeping, washing the feet of Jesus. And people become indignant. How dare she? Jesus, you don't know who she is. Why do you let her do that? And Jesus looks at them and he says, You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. He's not actually comparing sins, he's just recognising that some people won't acknowledge them for themselves. Wherever you have been, whatever you have or haven't done, God's love is an invitation that welcomes you home, that brings you fullness and gives you the freedom to love others. See, what we produce in our lives largely depends on what we plant and how we nurture it in our spirit or how we allow what others have planted in our lives to take root and overcome us. You heard Donna's story talk about what had been planted in her spirit that she kept a secret. Didn't have to feed it, but it grew. Something that could be so destructive. And yet when she stepped in the love of God and the fullness of that, and the overflow of that became an expression of forgiveness. Something that had been planted long ago began to rise and grow again. Love grows best when it is expressed And even when, and especially when, it's at its hardest. But our capacity to love, to express love, is not dependent upon getting the same response in return. And this is the danger, this is the trick, isn't it? Often when we love, we want love returned. When we do what we think we should do, we want everyone else to do what we think they should do. But expressing love is best because God is best expressed because God has first loved us. In John chapter 13, Jesus tells the disciples, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And this is my command, love each other. And see, we know that as a word, don't we? We know that as an idea. We know that maybe as a love song or an idea that we've heard expressed in various dynamics. But how does this get practically lived out in my life? 1 Corinthians 13, the great passage of love. I'm sure you've all committed it to memory. Do you want to know what love looks like? 
Love is kind. Love is patient. Does not envy. Does not boast. It is not proud. Does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Honestly, it's a minute-by-minute decision, isn't it? (laughs) See, we spend so much time pursuing and craving feedback or expecting something in return, but the greatest of love is shown is sacrifice. Consider Jesus goes to death for everyone, knowing that some will still reject him, that some still ignore him. He goes to death for all of creation, for all of humanity, for all of us and more, everyone. And even if we're sitting in this room today saying Jesus is an absolute farce, a waste of time, a joke, he has died for you so that you can participate in a new life with him. Live like that. That's love. Live like that. And it would change our marriages. It would change our relationship with our children, with our grandchildren, with our parents. It would change the pain and the anguish of the past and transform us into everything that God has in store for us. Father, we want to thank you for your love. We want to thank you for the expression of your heart. We want to thank you for who you are. We praise you and honour you because you are a God of love, which is still incomprehensible at times. We want to thank you for Donna's story. We want to pray that her story would bear testimony and be seed that bears fruit fruit of hope and restoration and forgiveness we confess father that we all have things that we hold on to things that we've allowed to take seed that aren't really a reflection of you holy spirit speak in our hearts and minds now so that we might know forgiveness and live out of forgiveness express forgiveness knowing that you have first loved us in that. May you go in God's grace. May you go in his love. May you go in his peace. May you go in the knowledge that he brings healing in as much as we're willing to trust him.